The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today we're starting a new series entitled Grayless, um, and it is a call to a certain faith in Christ. And um, this certain faith produces a community radically transformed by his love and truth. So we're going to watch a short video introducing this series for the next seven weeks, and then we'll hear from our reader. Our current series on 1 John is so relevant to all of us, um, and, and it really is for two reasons. First, for the younger generation who I think struggles with why they should get out of bed on Sunday morning and come to church when they can uh, watch the best preachers um, and read the best blogs from really any church in the world. Um, John is telling them that there is a reason to get out of bed. Um, Jesus is the life, the light, and he is love. And to believe that, to really believe that, uh, is to be born of God. But it also means that not only are you reconciled to God through the person of Jesus, um, but you're also reconciled to your brother and your sister. Um, Because what God wants to do is create a radical community of love that is modeling the very fleshly Jesus to the world um, around. And you can't do that by simply feeding your own soul. On the other hand, to those that are comfortable, maybe too comfortable, in the fact that they are a Christian. And they've been resting on maybe a past profession uh, of faith um, that, uh, that they gave in their teens or maybe even earlier. Um, to that person and to those of us that did that, John wants to um, disturb our comfort a little bit. Uh, because he tells us we can't say that we love God and yet simultaneously hate our brother. Um, it, it tells us that we can't walk in the darkness and think that we are in the light, and Jesus is that light. Um, and so throughout the, the book of First John, uh, John the Apostle is disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. So we hope that you'll join us as we march through the book of 1 John over the next several weeks uh, as we wrestle and grapple with who Jesus is and what believing uh, in the true Jesus means for our lives personally. Uh, because it's so important to know that we know that, uh, that we're a child of God and to live in light of his love and in light of his grace and his mercy to us as his children. God for the people of God. The reading today is from 1 John 1, 2, 1 John 2, 1. This which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may may have fellowship with us. 
and indeed our fellowship is with our Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The, the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be in this place. And I am really excited about uh, this series and looking forward to marching through the book of First John with you. Uh, so before we do that, let's pray together. Father, uh, we need you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I pray for those that uh, may not believe. They may be here for a host of different reasons than to hear from your word. God, I pray that they might. They might see and hear the very person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the one that is skeptical, maybe because of how the church has acted out faith or not acted out faith in the world. Father, those that are wounded by the church, God, I pray that they would see a different Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus. Father, I pray for those that uh, have been believers for a long, long time, but do not know fellowship with you and intimacy with you, God, would you open their hearts, would you open their minds? Father, I pray for those that are on the fence, that God, you would give them assurance of faith in Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that he came in the flesh, that he lived and he died and he rose again. Lord, I pray that many might be born of you this morning. I pray that others would be revived in and by you. But I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to us. Don't let us leave this place without being affected and changed in a real way. We pray this for your glory and our good. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. Rachel and I have been, uh, my wife and I have been married uh, 33 years and almost four months, and we have uh, a way to prove that. Let's see. Here we go. Here's our marriage license. Um, in case you don't believe me, here is the legal document that um, shows for sure that we've been married since November 11th, 1983. 
And um, I had to pull this out. It was probably only like the third or fourth time that I pulled it out in 33 years. But I had to pull it out a couple weeks ago. Uh, the DMV wanted to see it because um, I had to prove that I was actually married so we could transfer uh, our tags from a car that was totaled in a wreck to uh, a newer car that, that we bought. They said, we need a copy of your marriage license. So I had to go dig this thing out. Um, a couple weeks ago and proved to the DMV that indeed uh, Rachel's my wife. All right, you can take that down. Uh, that's enough. <laughs> marriage is legal status. But we all know that marriage is much more than legal status. And as John begins to unpack the gospel for us and what relationship with Christ is, he is going to, as he does in this passage, point out the fact that, that marriage to Christ, that relationship with Christ, that being a child of God is legal. It is binding. Um, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. We receive faith. We believe and become through faith in the finished work of Christ, the child of God. Uh, that is the, the legal status of that, theologians and the scriptures themselves refer to as justification. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines justification as an act of God's free grace. It, it's an act of God. It's not an act of man. It's an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight because or only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And so, through faith, I am brought into a living relationship with God. There is legal status because of what Christ did for me. God now accepts me. There's the legal status. But as John begins this epistle, as he begins this letter, he's not talking primarily about legal status. He's talking primarily about the relationship. And he uses the word fellowship. And that word, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And koinonia is a mutual relationship of love and likeness. It's active, it's organic, it's real, it's ongoing. There's nothing impersonal about it. It's very personal. And what John is saying is, if you know Jesus, if you are a Christian, then this must be what you're experiencing. Now, God's love for you doesn't depend on how much or how little you're experiencing this because of the legal status. There are moments that my wife and I, you know, just naturally hold out, hold hands together and walk in the park and look lovingly and adoringly in each other's eyes. And there are other times when we don't. And yet we're still married. Okay. But if we don't ever walk through the park holding hands and looking in each other's eyes adoringly and have moments of real connection, then that's not a real marriage. And that's what John is getting at. He, he's not asking, hey, are you a Christian this morning? Let's get it settled. What he's saying is, do you have fellowship with God? Uh, do you have a living relationship with the living God of heaven and earth? That's what Christianity is. And so how do we get that? 
If we don't have it, because we're always kind of going, just as in any relationship, there are seasons and moments in which we feel God's love and, and we can sing many of the words we sang this morning and feel them. And there are other times when we're singing them and we're just singing them. And so how do we get in relationship with Christ? And how do we cultivate that relationship as believers? First of all, fellowship with God, as John shows us, is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. It is rooted in the living, breathing person of Jesus Christ. You can know God because he has become man. And you can know this man, Jesus. And you can have an ongoing, living, active relationship with him. And that's what we all need. I remember the camping trip, the youth trip that... Rachel and I were together on in high school when we, um, it wasn't the first time we met, but it was when we started uh, really falling in love, if you will. And um, I remember the ride back, and we were connecting so much, and, and we, you know, were beginning to see all these things that we had in common, and, um, and we were connecting, and over time, we began telling each other things that, that, that we hadn't told anybody else, and, and, and that drew us close. We became vulnerable with one another, and that was relationship. You see, vulnerability is the bedrock of any good relationship. You are not going to feel connected unless you are entering vulnerability, unless you're willing to be vulnerable. And that's hard. Rachel and I have been married 33 years. This this past week we watched um, a YouTube video by Brené Brown, Brené, B-R-E-N-E, and I highly recommend you watch it. Uh, uh, she, she did a TED Talk a few years back on shame. And it's about a 20-minute TED Talk, um, but it, it, it's so good because it shows us how to really become alive and how to live life fully. And the very thing that keeps us from living life fully is shame, and yet the way out of shame is vulnerability. You see, shame is different than guilt. Guilt is just something we feel for doing something bad or making a mistake. And yet shame is when we feel as if we are a mistake. Shame is that thing that paralyzes us, that keeps us from sharing, that keeps us from letting others see the real us. And yet, remember what I said a minute ago, the way Rachel and I connected is we began to share things that nobody else knew. And trust was built and connection was built. And you see, that is relationship with God. What John is saying is this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Jesus is life. That's what John is saying. But how is he life? He is life in the sense that he is one that can know everything about us, and he does. And he can love us like nobody can. You see, we were created for that relationship. We were created to be known like that. And not even my wife and not even me as as Rachel's husband knows everything. Because if we knew everything, we wouldn't be able to look at each other. Because as the children just agreed, we are all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
We are all broken and we're broken deeply. And, and in those broken spots, there are even things that we can't muster up the courage to share with another human being. But guess what? God knows it. He knows every single struggle, every single sin, every single act that was committed against you, and every single act that you've committed. And, and as, as John holds out Jesus as the one who is life, he doesn't say he is life, but only to those who have lived uprightly. No, he is life, and the very way that he is life is that he came and he lived for you. Because he knew that you would not be able to live a life in which at the end the father would say, okay, ah, oh, you did it perfectly. Come on into glory. He knew you would mess it up. He knew you would mess it up big time. And so what did he do? Instead of moving away from you like every, the God of every other religion, he moved towards you. He saw your mess and he said, mm, I'm, I got, I'm coming down. I can't not come down. And I'm going to live under the law for you. Father, let me live the life that, that Richard couldn't live. Let me do it for him. The one who knows me most did the most for me. And he's not motivating my, me by guilt, but he's motivating me by the love of not only living a perfect life, but then taking on the identity of my sin. Paul says he became sin. He who knew not sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that? Do you think that that's one that you could get vulnerable with? Do you think that's the one that you can realize, man, he is my life. He's worth giving anything up for. You see, that's what we're offered in the gospel. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see, when you begin to be vulnerable with Jesus, when you begin to wake up in the morning and confess your sins to him or go to bed confessing your sins and your brokenness. And yet receiving his grace and you you're growing in relationship with Jesus because you see him as your life, because you know that he is giving you his love constantly. He is reconciling you to the father and the father is loving you radically. When you are feeding on that, when you're feasting on that. It begins to do something in your heart that that has. Horizontal. Consequence. Or not just a horizontal, but a, uh, uh, not just, yeah, a, a vertical and a horizontal consequence. You see, it's interesting what, what John says. That which we've seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with God. No, so that you may have fellowship with us. But what John is saying is, is that when you become vulnerable with God, when you are opening your heart to God and he is seeing all that is there, and yet he is absorbing the shame and he's absorbing the guilt and you are receiving his love, all of a sudden that begins to, to change your posture toward those around you. Now you can start being vulnerable with other people. Your relationship with God is power to have 
relationship with other people. That is why the church should be a radically different community from any other community in the world. That is why in Christ there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. That's why in Christ we should be in Memphis reconciled across race, across class, across gender lines. Why? Because vulnerability is what draws us together. I'm meeting with a pastor's group right now. It's about 70 to 80 pastors and they're African-American, white pastors. They're um, resourced, under-resourced. Um, the only thing that we have in common for many of us is Jesus. And yet that is the power to create not just surface relationship, but real relationship. Because we have, we are bound by our brokenness and our sinfulness, and yet we are bound by our healing. Why does St. Jude have such a tight community throughout the world? Because they have gone through suffering together, they've been vulnerable together, and they've been healed together. And that's the church, even more so. As we're going to see through the book of John, 1 John, that's why we have to be committed to the church and we have to be committed to one another. And we can't just come to church, but we've got to get deep into relationships. Because that's what we need, and it's what our neighbor needs. So it begins with Jesus, a living relationship of vulnerability with Jesus. But then secondly, one in fellowship with Jesus walks with him in his light. Walking in the light as he is in the light. I love how John puts this. He's going to use the word obedience later on. He's going to use other words But I love how he he talks about faithfulness in relationship as walking in the light as he is in the light. What in the world does that mean? It means understanding what God does, what, what God loves, and loving the same thing. I've told you many times before that Rachel has gotten into art over the last several years. And um, to be honest with you, I could go my entire life without looking or or walking into an art studio. I I could. It's not something that I naturally value. I don't, I never would have just studied art. I would never just, you know, say, hey, let's go, let's spend a Saturday afternoon and go to art studio. I mean, it's just not something I would do. But because I'm in relationship with Rachel, if I'm going to connect with her, or you can, you know, any, whether tennis or whatever, Because I'm in relationship with her, I have to get into the light of the world of art. If I'm going to walk with her, that's what I must do, or there's no intimacy, there's no relationship, it's just a transaction. I heard of the last couple weeks of two ministers in our city, and one is a dear friend of mine that had to resign their position because of marital unfaithfulness. And it's broken my heart. And it's humbled me to a deep, deep place. But I know, I, I take it not as, I, judgment hasn't welled up in my heart, but, but I'm receiving the warning. 
Pay attention, Richard. Pay attention. And what do you have to pay attention to? Marriage is not just transactional. Marriage is relational. Marriage is vulnerability. Marriage is work. Put in the work. How do we walk in the light of Jesus? We find out what he loves. Do you wonder why you're not close to Jesus? It's because you're trying to get Him to love what only you love. You're using Jesus. You're not living and loving Jesus. You see, He is God. And so what He loves is truth and justice and righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? I haven't always thought that was beautiful. We, we have an infinite God and there's so much to learn. There's the, the capacity to walk in the light with Jesus is, is infinite. I, I, Rachel and I attended our, our, our um, parenting seminar Friday night and Saturday. And yesterday morning, uh, David Thomas, who led our parenting seminar, excellent, excellent, excellent. Read his books. He co-wrote eight of them. So, I don't know, maybe you can't read all eight, but read something he's written. Uh, it was great stuff. And, and the stuff he was doing on um, how to raise an emotional child yesterday was phenomenal. And yet again, I sat there listening, number one, thinking, man, I wish I had that when Rachel and I were, you know, um, when our children were younger, so we could apply a lot of this and, you know, just imagine how, how much better Ashley and Whitney and Amy would, Catherine would have been, um, if, if we had that material. But then I just started thinking about my own emotional maturity. And how paralyzed I am so much of the time emotionally and don't know what to do with my emotions. Um, and I've been studying the voice of the heart. I know that a lot of folks in here are into that and it's good stuff. And, but he was coming at it at a, at a different angle too that I thought was very, very health, healthy and good. And, and the point of that is, is a whole new vista opened up in my heart and I'm like, man, to walk in the light with Jesus is to, is to understand how he's created me emotionally as an emotional man and an emotional being. So that'll be the next several weeks, months, years ahead, trying to figure that out. But that's what it means to walk in the light with Jesus. It's not just, oh gosh, I, I can't smoke, chew, or go with girls that do. It's not this box that I've got to get in. It's, oh, I, don't, I hope I don't send it. It's, it's, it's being open to the vast array of His glory and His creation. And to walk with Him, to experience Him in every single realm it's to understand what it means to walk with him in marriage as a parent, as a parent of adult married children, as a just on and on and on it goes. It's it's unending. And so to walk in the light with Christ is to live loving him and being interested in what he is interested in. What what area of your life do you know right now? You're not walking in the light of Jesus, but you're walking in darkness. Do you see? Put it in relationship. Don't go straight to guilt and shame. 
Oh, I'm doing this. I'm not doing that. No. Just put it in relationship. Do you understand that, that Jesus knows that you're cheating on him? And his arms are wide open saying, come to me. Come to me. What I have for you is so much better. What I have for you is so much more fulfilling. What I have for you is me. That's what God wants to give us. Not a bunch of morality. But Jesus said, and John said this, and and quoting Jesus in his gospel, John 14. He said, if you love me, what? You'll obey me. What do we immediately go to? Oh, I've got to obey him. No, you've got to love him. Love him and then you'll obey him. Does that mean we don't put structures in our... Of course not. Yes, discipline's good. But what are we after? Loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what you love is what you become. What you love is what you become like. My life is forever changed by the people in my life. And then thirdly and finally, one in fellowship with Jesus practices repentance and faith. It must be, um, well, wedding season is coming. And the, the way I know that is because I have a number of couples um, that I'm doing premarital counseling with right now. And um, one of the tools that I use is, um, it's called Love and Love Language. And, and part of this uh, material is um, learning how each other communicates, and, and uh, especially in conflict, and how we don't communicate, especially in conflict. In essence, our sin patterns, our natural defaults, when tension and, and um, uh, an argument arises. And so take a look at this list. I think we've got it this morning. It's called a um, communication jammer inventory. There we go. So if you were just kind of to rate these, you know, from one to three, one being, you know, the way I relate to conflict uh, all the time, and then two being uh, the way I relate to conflict some of the time, and then three being, um, you know, uh, ways I, I, I actually don't um, relate or I do it very seldomly. You know, kind of look up. Are you clamming up, not talking or denying that there is a problem in, in, in your relationships? It can be with your Spouse, it can be with somebody you're dating or just roommates, friends, co-workers. How do you deal with conflict? Hinting, is it backdoor messages? Being very slow to admit when you're wrong. Problem-centered, not solution-centered. Exaggeration, you always say that. I know no married people in here have ever done that. Um, defensive, being very quick to make excuses and reject criticism. Guilty, rabbit punching, using statements designed to hurt the other. Well, if you didn't, if you weren't like that, you know, I told you it was going to turn out like that. Little rabbit punches. A know-it-all, being quick to analyze, say I told you so. Jumping to conclusions, interrupting, aborting communication with an early apology, bringing up the past, changing the subject, cold shoulder, withholding affection, I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll show you not to, you know, I'll, I'll show you what happens if you bring up something uncomfortable um, using scare tactics. Yeah, well, you keep doing that. I'm leaving you that kind of stuff. So so it's not a matter of in any relationship. It's not a matter of if you use some of one of these. It's how and which one. And so my goal in the premarital time that we have is 
to put each potential you know, spouse in the position of admitting, yeah, this is how I act when we fight. And, and what am I doing there? It's not just some practice to, to help people understand and identify how they relate, but it's to create moments of vulnerability where and through which they can have actual connection. What John says is this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, now, think about what he just said a minute ago. You have to walk in the light. And he who says he doesn't walk in the light is, and, and, and yet walks in darkness is not born of God. I mean, that's what he's saying. But now he says, but hey, guess what? None of us walk in the light. <laughs> None of us are perfect. If we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, and then he goes back to it. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, here's the double-edged beauty of the gospel. The gospel says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet all are justified freely by his grace. If you aren't experiencing that on a daily basis, if you aren't experiencing that maybe even several times throughout the day, then you are not walking in the light. And what I mean by that is this, is every relationship, every true relationship that is not just leaning on legal status must be a relationship of vulnerability or it's not a relationship. And so with God, he is never the offender. With God, we are always the offender. And yet, he and not us is the, the, the implementer and the initiator of love. The one who is offended most is the one who loves most. Do you think that you can get vulnerable with that kind of God? Do you think you can open your heart to that kind of God? Is there any reason to go around and say, I have no sin? Is there any reason to not be honest about your sin? Is there any reason not to be vulnerable in your relationships? Because, folks, the way to understand your sin is to ask the people that you're closest to. How have I offended you? Am I like that? Tell me what it's like to live with me. Tell me what it's like to be my friend. Tell me what it's like to work with me. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There it is again in verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As I was writing this sermon this week, I started thinking about the implications of the grace and mercy of Christ and me living a lifestyle of repentance and faith, and that being the grounds of vulnerability and real relationship with God. And I began to think about somebody that, that I've offended recently, actually several months ago. Nobody in this congregation. It was actually in a business dealing. 
And I wrote them an apology afterwards. They confronted me and I wrote an apology afterwards. But I realized, Richard, it just still, it's not settled in my heart. And so I reached out through another email and said, I'm sorry, this is how I'm sorry, but I just feel like, I'm, can I come have a face-to-face with you? And what I realized is that that is how, not only to be vulnerable before another person in this community, but it's how to be vulnerable with God. Because by risking that, because I could get an email back saying, you so-and-so, I, why, I never want to meet with you. That I could get rejection. And yet in that, who, how do I have the emotional capacity to send an email like that? Because I believe that the one I've offended the most loves me the most. And out of his love for me, I can reconcile and seek reconciliation. I don't have to have it because I can't make it happen. I can't make people forgive me when I hurt them. But I can do my part. Why? Because I have the eternal, infinite life and love of God upon me. And because that is a reality in my life today, I can live out of it in my relationships with others. It is my deepest prayer, dear friends, that this series catapults us into relationship, not just with Jesus, I would love to see hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But I hope that this series in John catapults relationship in this body and in this city. My prayer throughout this sermon series for the next six weeks after this is to see a radical community of vulnerability, acceptance, and love launched from right here. This is the launching pad. And the only way that's going to happen is if right now you commit your heart to Jesus, confessing your sin to him, receiving and believing his grace, and then doing the same with those around you. How have you offended God? How have you offended your neighbor? What is he moving you to do? I promise you, when you turn your heart to God in humility, you get love, you get acceptance, you get forgiveness, you get life, the very life for which you were made. And out of that, you may get rejection, (laughs) you may get a, a stiff arm, but you may also get, I forgive you. Let's move forward as brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, make us faithful. Make us faithful to do what only you can do in and through us. Oh God, help us to walk in the light. Help us to walk in the light of your forgiveness, the light of your life, death, and resurrection. Help us to walk in the light of the vulnerability of a lifestyle of repentance and faith. Oh God, make us bold in your love. As we are humbled by our sin and make us empowered by your forgiveness. Oh God, make it real to many of us in this place today. Heal our congregation. Heal our community. Come, oh God, and do a work in us in Memphis. 
where the world might know that we are a reconciled people because of Jesus. Jesus, get all the credit. But would you do it for your glory and our good? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.